How would you use a Rat King in your own campaign? What would it be like to play in a game as a Vortex Dragon? What attributes does a Pumpkin Leshy have again? On Random Encounters, we answer those questions and more. Each week, I, Nick, pull a random monster from a random manual. Matt and Brandon try to guess what it is based on flavor text, and then we all discuss. We have over 20 manuals to pull from, and over 5,000 monsters contained therein. We're in for a podcast that's sure to be, choose your own answer, A. Scary, B. Adorable, C. Funny, D. Intriguing, E. All of the above. So tune in every Monday for a new monster to play as, add to your campaign, or just be introduced to for the very first time. That's Random Encounters from the Feckless Momes Audio Network. Search your cast catcher of choice and you'll find us there. Subscribe so you don't miss a single monster. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to straighten out your bent nail collection, mail those thank you notes to your enemies, and pour yourself a hot steaming cup of speculation. Because it's time to talk tall to me. I'm Omen Said. And I am Nick McGill. We are Feckless Momes. And this is Talk Tall to Me, your weekly podcast where we delve deep into the mind that was Ian Anderson 50 years ago, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, and even earlier, as we dig into each song on each album in chronological order and break it down for you. It's so deep that if we come up too quickly, we will get the bends. The fluty bends. <laughs> that's, a, that's a rumor. <laughs> it's my favorite cereal. This week, we are nearing the end for the bonus tracks on Stand Up, mm-hmm. the second album. That's right. What song are we listening to and talking tull about this week? This week is the song which was included as the B-side of the single which was released where the A-side was living in the past. The B-side is called Driving Song. That's very good. Let's actually play the song, though. Oh, okay. First impressions. Give it to me. You know, this some Jethro Tull songs are are like a a complex meal with many different flavors intertwining with contrasting elements of crunchy and soft arriving unexpectedly on your palate, and when you least expect it, a little burst of a of a fruity savory pop. However, this one is not one of those songs. This is the this is a this is a meat and potatoes Jethro Tull song. It's you devolved into William Shatner. <laughs> <laughs> this song is straightforward. It is meaty. It is full of carbs, and it hits you in the stomach and keeps you warm all night. It is a great big bowl of linguine with a meat sauce that has been stewing all day, and there are meatballs the size of your fist, and 
sausage links that are longer than your foot. Yeah. If rock and roll was produced by Italian grandmothers, <laughs> this is what Nona made on a Sunday. You're so thin. Have some Have some rock song. and roll. <laughs> are you even eating? <laughs> I sent you some beret last week. <laughs> She, that's, Why that's, is your Italian Jewish, grandmother sorry. Jewish? Yeah. <laughs> Have some matzah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, so, however, there are some interesting things about this song. This is I'm struggling to think of another Jethro Tull song where, from the get-go, the bass and the guitar are essentially playing in unison. Yeah. Which creates an interesting effect. I think that's why it has a feeling about it, which, you know, I don't want to call it stodgy, but it's... It has a heaviness to it, which is appropriate given what the song is about. It is a a literal driving song. The song starts and just moves and does not stop. No, that's true. That's absolutely true. It isn't. And it is. It is. It's like the juggernaut in the Marvel Universe. Like once he gets moving, he's that's his power. He just can't be stopped. He will go through anything. Oh, yeah. That's why he was so hard to beat on those arcade games. That's it. That explains it. Yeah. Do you know when this one was recorded? Because this is super bluesy. This is an homage to This Was almost. I'm pretty sure it was recorded just after This Was. I believe it was recorded at the same time as Living in the Past. Well, yeah, I guess it must have been, yeah. Which was before the recording of Stand Up. Yeah. So, absolutely, it does have... I agree, it does have that... It does have that blues feel, but it's also... Oh, hold on one second. I was about to say that it's Martin Lancelot Barr. But now I'm wondering. I'm guessing that it is. It must be. I'm guessing that it still is. Yeah, let's say it is. Yes, let's. It's interesting. I mean, it's last week we talked about living in the past. And this this song is almost like the dark side of the of the frickin moon. Hmm. It's so different from living in the past and it's it's hard to if you put them up next to each other this one really disappears easily yeah agreed but that's not to say that it's not of value because i really do i think that there's something here which is going to be a theme throughout the jethro tull discography and i know we usually kind of talk about the song in in um in layers as it were but i want to kind of I want to kind of jump in to the the saucy nugget at the at the middle of this song, which is what to you? What do you consider the saucy nugget, Omen? The meaning of it, the feeling which it expresses. And for that, I believe that we're going to have to look at the lyrics. Okay. Which I just lost. <laughs> I think the disaster. Even though this is super bluesy, and we hear that that really distinct like blues guitar kind of feel to it. Yes. It still feels like it's Martin doing blues guitar though. Oh yeah. It's all oh, that dirty solo in the middle. He's just yeah. like just rubbing a ham sandwich that he found in the trash on there and it's just oh, <laughs> it's just so good. Did you read the thing that Martin Barr said where he he was like, "Oh yeah, I I um I never took any guitar lessons because I wouldn't I didn't want to be influenced by how anyone else played the guitar." Whoa, I did not read that. And they were like, well, what do you think of this person's guitar playing? He's like, oh, I don't listen to other guitarists because I don't, I don't want to be influenced. He lived in a guitar vacuum. Oh my God. Or he tried to. 
That's really impressive. Which is interesting because it's like, I think that maybe that's why he was so, he had so many different styles within him because he mm-hmm. didn't, he didn't think of like one sound as sounding like this person or, or another way of playing the guitar of sounding like this person. It was just, he was the all guitar. He was tapped into the, the sacred guitar Lotus of infinity. His guitar was made out of Yggdrasil's wood. Exactly. <laughs> That is a really amazing story. Yeah. That makes me love him that much more. He's very lovable. So that that's like, I know that's not the, the exact same case that was Ian Anderson, but Ian Anderson didn't have any training. Not till years later. Yeah. Okay, so getting back to the, the meaning and the lyrics of this song. Yes. Will they ever stop driving me? Have they ever taken time to see that I need some rest if I'm to do my best? Can I please stop working so hard? They just tell me, gotta close it hard. Gotta think of my health. Can I be myself? I'm almost done. That's the most articulate reading of these lyrics that anyone has ever done. Thank you. Oh, tell me I'll be home someday. Well, I doubt it if I continue this way, because this hard life I've led is making me dead. Now, clearly, this could be in relation to Ian Anderson's experience of being on tour. I think that's an easy, that's mm-hmm. an easy leap, you know, that maybe the, inf- that maybe the, uh, the inspiration for this, these lyrics came from that. Certainly, you know, we can think of a lot of different musicians who may have, art- who may have articulated this and then, and then gone on to actually die by being worked to death. I'm thinking of Elvis. I'm thinking of the other fellow, Hank Williams, senior. Do you think Elvis was worked to death or he was pilled to death? <laughs> I think that he started taking the pills to to compensate for how overworked and tired he was. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Maybe the inspiration for the, these lyrics does come from that. But I think that when you, when you hear these lyrics, it reminds me of how I feel when, I'm, when I've been like working, working, working. And, you know, I've, I've done a lot of carpentry in my, in my day. Mm. And the kind of attitude that you hear from some of these people who, who grind out that kind of hard physical labor every day of their life is this kind of like, oh, man, you know, I'm working so much that it's killing me and yeah. my boss doesn't get it. And I think that here is where you start to see the appeal of Jethro Tull for the working class music listener. Boom. That's Exactly what I was going to say. This this song is not, oh, poor me, it's really hard on the road. This song is for the blue collar. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Absolutely. And he, he, I'm sure he saw it firsthand with his dad. Absolutely. Well, and with everyone, you know, in the town that he grew up with, I'm sure. And Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm sure he was interacting with a lot of laboring peoples in his life. <laughs> As one does, one will occasionally come upon a laboring person. Yes. And then you just, you throw them the crust of bread you happen to be oh. eating and you carry oh. on. Oh, <laughs> All right. All right. I want to go back. I'm sure he saw this firsthand with his dad while his dad was filling boilers with fluid <laughs> or whatever. What is it? Bl- fl- bl- bl- Boiler Fluid Company? RSA Boiler Fluid Company? Boiler Fluid Company, yeah. Boiler Fluid, yeah, okay. We're out of boiler fluid, Tommy. <laughs> Bring down another vat. 
Get off my back, man. <laughs> but here's the thing that's so fascinating because, you know, Nick. <laughs> wow, that was a quick turn. <laughs> Omen. You, you and I have, have been to some Jethro Tull concerts. Uh-huh, yeah. We have seen the attendants, the people who attend. Yeah. And, you know, they never struck me as, like, the hippie crowd. Some. Some, but but largely... Remember the two guys that we saw at the rest stop when we got, I do like, remember that, really yeah. gross old burgers? Yeah, weren't we at a... Weren't we at a um, an Arby's or something? No, no it, it was Roy Rogers. Roy that... Rogers, absolutely. Yeah, at midnight after a Jethro Tull concert. Yeah, yeah. They were hippies <laughs> through and through. Yeah, but I think that they were like blue collar hippies. They were like retired hippies, right? <laughs> but it's a lot of like motorcycle riding. Yeah, hardworking people. Yeah, who are the the target market for those concerts. But here's the thing that's so interesting for me is that, and sorry, I know I'm like talking a lot. It's okay. Oh, because it's a podcast. <laughs> I think that this is the kind of song that made Jethro Tull the rock and roll of the intellectual working class. Because hmm. there's plenty okay. of rock and roll that's just... Sex, 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 The Stones. Beer, 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 And it's wonderful. I love all that stuff. But that's not Jethro Tull. Yeah. Musicality aside. Which is a huge thing. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. But there is a, granted, very varied, but there is a consistent subject matter what is that face you're making? What is the door open behind you? Yeah. Did you just open it? I opened it a little bit. Yeah, it's really hot in here. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, you can't see my arm, so it just looked like the door opened up. Yeah, I can understand how that's absolutely terrifying. I'm yeah, looking yeah. at it right now. Terrifying. Yeah. Sorry, what were you saying? Musicality aside. Yeah. And granted, it is very varied. There is a consistency in terms of subject matter and... Yes. Just general way of viewing things, viewing life, right? That I can see is appealing to, that can appeal to the mechanic working on the the Studebaker in the shop, and but also the guy in the factory, the guy filling the boilers with fluid. Yeah. And at the same time, it can appeal to anyone. You know, it can it can appeal right. to people who who don't have a manual job. Mm. But it, there is the consistent theme of kind of the everyday experience of life. Yeah. And almost the, the banality of it. And not, you know, it's not, um, it's not Bon Jovi, right? Like, thank goodness. <laughs> like Bon Jovi, you know, like, I'm a cowboy on a steel horse I ride. Like, it's a bit, it's really, really taking something that's normal and like blowing it into this into this wild fantasy of of what that is. Yeah, Bon Jovi is a character. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> Just like I think even Bruce Springsteen is a character at this point. He's a caricature of a human being. But there was always even though some of the language is is a bit flowery and maybe be off-putting to some people, there is a down-to-earthness in terms of the subject matter. 
Are you talking about Jethro Tull? Yeah, certainly not Bon Jovi. Please join us for our other podcast, Jive Jovi to me. (laughs) There we go. Bon Jovi. (laughs) And I'm thinking, you know, obviously we're getting ahead of ourselves, but I'm thinking of this song reminds me a little bit of Dogs in the Midwinter. Oh, interesting. Or Journeyman. Content-wise, not necessarily musically. Not necessarily musically, although Journeyman does have a little bit of that same kind of like driving feeling behind it. Yeah, I'll give it to you. And just to put this into some context, why I think that at this time period, this would be especially appealing to people is because Ian Anderson in, in his lyrics is able to articulate very intelligently, but also very directly and kind of um, uh, what's the word where something is palpable? Palpably. He um, <laughs> communicates very palpably the some of these everyday experiences. So at, at the same time, you know, in 1969, here's 1970. A, here's, a, here's a tip. Yeah. You can usually put Lee on the end of an adjective and it turns yeah. it into an adverb. Oh, that was very helpfully of you. So, so as we kind of as we kind of started to discuss in the in the previous episode, this was this moment, this 1969-1970s moment was a moment where you start to see inflation and unemployment starting to rise. Mm-hmm. You start to see the steady uh shutdown of British industry, especially the mines and the mills, mm. which had been the backbone of British employment and manufacturing for ages and ages and you know had really yielded a lot of high paying labor jobs yeah by 1972 just a couple years after this unemployment in britain was up to 1 million people and that's with a population of 55.5 million wow so that's that's not great right like that's 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 20% that's just under 20 no no, one one million, million of five million? One million of fifty-five. Oh, million. fifty-five million. Oh, good good <laughs> lord. So it's two percent. Man. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows what percentage it was? But it was um <laughs> it was on the increase. And previously unemployment had been really, 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 really low. Yeah. So as Jethro Tull is developing, as Ian Anderson is developing this voice, there are more and more people who are becoming simultaneously disgruntled with their work or lack of work, but also kind of entrenched into their way of life. I mean, there's this sort of interesting thing that happens, I think, when, you know, if you look at, for instance, the coal mining communities in the Appalachian Mountains today, Mm -hmm. you know, the more and more that the coal mines shut down as they're being phased out because it's like a, you know, really out of date fuel source, the more those communities start identifying as we are the coal miners, we are yeah. the coal mining communities. So it's like it, it is sort of holding on to that past in a way. And I think also at this time is when we start at least probably both in the States and the UK, it's when we start seeing a greater gap in the classes. When the the rich become richer and the the poor become poorer. And, of course, the poor are the ones who work in the factories and work in the mines. 
and right. they don't get the profits. It's the rich owner who works in the high rise or whatever, and they're they're literally being worked to death. Oh, absolutely. But they also identify. They also use that as an identification, like you said, in yeah. the mines. Yeah, yeah. It's this bizarre dichotomy of how dare they get rich off of my blood. I should be doing that. I shouldn't be. I should be up in the boardroom, not down here. But I'm a miner, damn it. Right, right. Yeah, or or they'll never understand my way of life. They'll never understand why this is important. Right. Well, and then simultaneously, as these problems, especially the unimpl- the inflation and the unemployment started to get worse and worse, obviously we're getting ahead a little bit of what this of when this song was recorded. I think it's important to see kind of the tra- the trajectory of this kind of song with Jethro Tull. Mm-hmm. Neither the conservative government when they were in power, nor the labor government were able to apparently do anything about these problems. So yeah, the conservatives were in power for the first part of the 70s. The Labor Party took over for the second part of the 70s. And then I think we get Thatcher, which is a whole other thing. Yeah, which I'm sure we'll see certainly when we hit the 80s. Yeah. In terms of music, for sure. We're going to hit the 80s hard. Yeah. A, is that the, the name of the album? Probably, yeah. A for 80s? A for 80s. That's how you spell it. That was my grade in school. <laughs> I got an A. A, yeah. That, oh, is, that is right before Broadsword is A. That is okay. such an 80s kind of technology heavy in terms of, uh, I, I think it feels very, very technological and very political in terms of its references. So I would not be surprised if we see something Thatcher related in there. Yeah. Even under wraps, I could see that coming in. Mm-hmm. I know that on that album, there are actually some, I believe there's a song which is a specific reference to an economic event, but we are getting ahead oh, of ourselves. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's try to stay here in um, in 1969. Right. But the point being that as, you know, as government fails you and the companies fail you, the more there's a tendency to identify as as who you view yourself is, mm-hmm. as as who you view yourself as. And I think that music is in a, is a to- is a hugely important part of that identity. I mean, I mean, we all we all do that to some extent or another. And I think different communities all over the world really identify with uh, the music that they feel speaks to them and represents them. So is this a degree of prescience on Ian's part in terms of writing the lyrics, or is he just grasping the moment and it just so happened to prolong and become worse? I would put my money on the second one. Yeah. yeah. I don't think that Ian Anderson was a, a, a soothsayer or a future teller. Although if he was, that would be pretty cool. (laughs) I think that he was articulating in this song the feeling that every person who works, no matter what their job has, I mean, people who work in the coal mine or people who work in a factory or people who work in a bank all feel at some point, oh my gosh, why can't I just take a break? This freaking job is killing me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's a universal theme it's a universal idea that can be applied to any job at any time right it is human to complain yeah and to find fault and to never be happy not to be super debbie downer but like it's it's (laughs) oh wow please listen to our other podcast talk existential dread to me (laughs) there's only one episode
<laughs> listen to our other podcast. Nick, do you need to talk to me? <laughs> Not to be Debbie Downer, but it's very, it is a known fact that it's very easy to default to a depressive nature in times of <laughs> what? What are you doing? I'm spraying um, water mixed with essential oils because somewhere, sometimes outside, I think that someone smokes a cigarette like out on the sidewalk. Oh, and sometimes yuck. that smoke filters in. So I'm um, I'm cleansifying the air. You've been cleansifying for the last 20 minutes. Well, I just <laughs> like the smell of cigarettes. It's a very long cigarette. <laughs> yeah, that's awful. Hooray for not living in the city. Omen. Nick. If this were a mode of transportation, yeah. If this song were a mode of transportation, what would it be? Okay, you know, here's this is my just first reaction. You know, in the old timey movies, where on the train track there would be um, a cart that has two handles that seesaw up and down, and that moves you along. That like turns a crank and moves you along the track. Yep. That's There's what this would be. definitely a name for that, but I get it. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. I don't think that even needs more discussion. I think that's pretty nope. perfect, actually. It's very succinct. We got there. Do you want to talk anything musically before we wrap up? Musically. Is there flute in this song? There is. I was going to bring that up. Tell me about it. It doesn't come until the very end. It's not a terribly long song, but it takes long no. enough to get to the flute that you think... Oh, a song with no flute. Yeah. And then at the very end, singing is all done. The flute picks up for the last maybe 45 seconds and it picks up. It has the same tone that the vocals do. There's it's the picking up that same tone and sentiment. I feel that the vocals. have. Yeah. It is a furious lamentation. And it just it's like. <laughs> Ian Anderson was like, I can't sing how I feel right now. I can't put to words, so let me whip out the flute. Whoa. And then he, he goes to town on I it. had a dime for every time I heard that. I want to know the situations where that would be pertinent. <laughs> and then there's a bit of a call and answer with Martin's kind of licky guitar and then the, the, the flute kind of going back and forth. Yeah. And just as the song is fading out, they did a really interesting thing. They move the flute over to just the left track. Hmm. You can notice on really good stereo headphones. And then okay. they move it back over to the right. Whoa. And then they go back again. So it feels like he is physically moving. It feels like he is moving in there. Well, you know what this song does for me? It has this sort of sense of endlessness. Yeah, yeah. It feels like three weeks of doing the same boring hard job condensed into two minutes and 50 seconds it's a mobius strip of music Ooh, i love moby <sighs> mobius strip was uh, a very embarrassing album for him <laughs> <laughs> he should have had uh, an album called mobius strip if he does if he doesn't that would be that's 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 a missed opportunity if yeah I, i'll notify him immediately that could also be his uh his stripper name is that too easy? Is that too on the nose? That's what I. That's kind of what I was alluding to in saying that it was a very embarrassing album. But I didn't. I didn't what about provide the Mobius, enough. The Mobius Strip Club. So it would be. 
are we still looping in Moby into this or are we just making or trying to figure out how a strip club would what would make a strip club a Mobius strip club? Yeah, yeah, that one. The women are never ending. There's no uh the the runway loops runway. back on itself. What kind of ca- strip club oh, catwalk. have you been to? Catwalk. Is That's that what it's not, called? I don't think they have Look, I've don't never they... been to a strip club. Have you ever been to a strip strip I, club? I've never been to a strip This club. is the most uninformed conversation <laughs> that any people could possibly have. I've seen television shows. <laughs> yes, yeah, where so they go I. to strip clubs. In that case, I've seen the moon. There were no strip clubs in Quantum Leap. <laughs> Actually, uh, were there? There may have been. There may have been. Yeah. Wait. Quantum Leap. Oh, my gosh. Was that last episode that we talked that about? That was last Quantum episode. Leap? Yeah, we may not be able to get away with that with this one. <laughs> okay, so that's all that I have for for Driving Song. Let me ask you one thing. Yeah. Why is it called Driving Song? Driving, like it's never ending. Like I'm being driven by the man. So not like I'm in a car driving. No. Yeah. No. It's... <laughs> no, it's this career, this trajectory sees no end. And therefore right. I'm being driven. Slave slave driving, essentially. Yes, yes, totally, yeah. totally. Being being driven by someone. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So, Nick. Yeah. What on earth are we talking about next week? Next week is the second to last of the bonus tracks off of Stand Up, track number 13. It is Sweet Dream. Ooh. And I just looked at a couple of notes, and I'm very excited to get into it. You're going to have to come on back next week. So drive on over to the podcast next Tuesday when Sweet Dream drops. You, you missed the opportunity. Drive on over to iTunes to rate, review, and subscribe. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Tell your friends. That would be a sweet dream if you no, reviewed our podcast. No, that's next week. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Don't get stuck in an aqualung. I guess I'm... What? That doesn't... <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell my 4,000 mothers on you. <laughs> Until next week, when we are talking about Sweet Dream, I am Nick McGill. And I'm Omen Sade. <laughs> We are Feckless Momes, and this is Talk Tall to Me. Talk Tall to Me is a proud member of the Feckless Momes Audio Network. It's the announcer for Mobius Strip. And now you will continue to be here and you will never leave. I don't know what that, that wasn't good.